want to do a, a new series with you uh, today. Uh, Starting looking at the book of Acts, um, at the church, it seems relevant when everything seems to be on a sort of a, a knife edge, really, and about to change, and we're not sure what will happen next. Everybody seems to be asking the question, or certainly were for most of the week, or certainly most of the journalists were asking the same question over and over and over again for three weeks, uh, for all this week. When will the lockdown end? And now we know. Well, they're going to look at it again in three weeks' time. But behind it is a different question, isn't it? It's when will we, when will we get back to normal? But increasingly, it feels like the conversation is, well, what will normal look like? What could normal be? What do we want normal to be? What should we want normal to be? It feels unknown and it feels uncertain. And uh, I suspect that the only thing that we can be sure about is it'll be different. Whatever the next part of the year looks like, it's going to be different than anything we expected. I don't know what uh, it is for you. I know that for some of you, you're working in places that you never expected to work in. And for some of you, you're not working and you really did expect to work. I know for me, lots of things in my diary have just been taken out, not doing what I thought I'd be doing. Everything that I thought was certain is no longer certain. And in a sense, the book of Acts is really helpful at this point because the church was birthed into the unknown. They didn't know what on earth would be happening, literally, but they learned to respond to the leading of the spirit because they were really aware that they weren't in control of things. Just like we've discovered, we're not in control of the future as much as we thought we were. Those plans that we canceled, those places where we didn't expect to be, the things that we don't feel equipped for, the fear of the finance that's not as certain as it was. And I guess my prayer in beginning this series in Acts is to think through whether we might rediscover a radical dependency on the spirit. And in a sense, perhaps for those of us in the West who feel like most of the time we are in control, maybe we will discover this dependency on the spirit at a time when we really need to. And so we begin this series. I've asked Glyn to read uh, the scripture for us this morning. And um, Glyn will um, be unmuted by Tony and, uh, and then he'll begin to read. I put the text on the screen so you can follow it uh, alongside him. So Glyn, when you're ready. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait 
for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem, from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot, and Judas son of James. They all joined constantly in prayer, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Thanks ever so much, Glyn. The sequel to the book of Luke, so Luke having written both the Gospel of Luke and this book of Acts, begins with Jesus. Luke tells us that his first book, the gospel, was all about what Jesus began to do. And now his second book, the book of Acts, are going to be all the things that he continued to do after his resurrection and after his ascension. In other words, Jesus is still alive. That all the things he began, he continues to do and more. We'll get to it. But the interesting thing about the book of Acts is it ends really strange. I know that that's like 28 chapters ahead of us, but it acts, it ends really oddly in as much as it doesn't feel like it has a proper ending. And lots of people think that's because in the 28th chapter, it finishes with Paul in, in house arrest, really, under lockdown, unable to go where he wants to go. Sound familiar? But that's how it ends. But actually, it feels like we are the 29th chapter. It's kind of like Jesus, this risen savior, continues to work through the lives of you and I. And it's because he's alive. Those first verses. After his suffering, he presented himself to, him, to them. And what did he do? Two things. He gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. That's worth pausing over just a moment. That sense that this Jesus is actually at work in our world right now. He's alive. He died, rose, 
and ascended on high. And the second thing is he spent 40 days talking about the kingdom of God. I don't know about you, but do you remember when you were at school or college and um, you had a period just before your exams came and they were kind of like a revision period. It felt like a cramming. We use that language, certainly when I was at school, the idea of cramming for an exam. And it's kind of a bit weird because Jesus has spent three years talking to these disciples about the kingdom of God. And yet here he is, 40 days, telling them about the kingdom of God. It's almost like have you still not understood? What's noticeable in the Gospels is that Jesus hardly ever really describes the kingdom of God in a clear definition way. But what he does is he shows what the kingdom of God's like. This passage is from Luke chapter four. It's Jesus' first sermon. He goes to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, back to his hometown. And on the Sabbath day, went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and unrolling it, he found the place where it's written, the spirit of the Lord is on me, because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour, and he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, sat down, the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him and he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. It's kind of like a picture of the kingdom of God where those who are poor, those who are blind, those who are on the outside are all welcomed in. There's good news for them. That actually that began with the ministry of Jesus. Today, Jesus said, it's begun, the kingdom of God has been launched. And all his ministry, he was doing that. So when in the book of Acts, at the beginning of Acts, they gather around him, the apostles, the disciples gather around him, they ask him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? It's the obvious question. Jesus, you've died, you're risen from the dead, is it now? Are you going to give us back everything that we've hoped for? Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? I don't know how you feel about this, but I reckon that loads of times when Jesus was asked questions by the disciples, he just ended up going, oh no, you don't get it, do you? And maybe this was another moment where he just put his head in his hands and went, oh, you don't get it, do you? You see, what the disciples were asking is, can we go back to normal? Can we go back to the normal that we've always wanted? Can we go back to the things that we've always hoped for? And Jesus said to them, it's not for you to know. God's got a plan. God's involved. Well, let God do what he needs to do. But it's not for you to know the timing of everything. Your call to obedience, you're not there to be the ones who get the download from God about how it's all going to be. What you've got to be is willing simply to follow him. And I think it's why for us, it's the same. How long? What's it going to be like? What will happen? 
Some are saying it'll be fine, we'll just go back to normal. And others are going, it's going to be awful. And probably it'll be somewhere between those things. We know that some of us will be poorer. There will be more unemployment, probably. We won't be able to be as we were for quite some time. And there's some things that we probably would want to stay, the things that we're discovering in lockdown. We want our environment to be a bit better. We want new ways of being local. We want to have that sense of belonging. And for church, what will it mean for us? It might, might mean that we can't meet together in flesh for quite some time in the ways we were doing. Think about it. Can you imagine us all being crowded into our little church building again and trying to keep six feet distance from one another? Can you imagine trying to do that? At times on a Sunday morning, we didn't have six centimetres, let alone six feet. And so we might have to meet in smaller groups. And that'll mean that we'll need to step up to committing to community more than just attending. Some of us will have to step up into leadership. And all the time we'll be stepping up and thinking, well, what does it mean to share the good news of Jesus with people around us? I wonder what sort of people it'll take for that to happen. What I'd like to do is uh, do a poll with you. Now, I'm conscious that some of you are listening on your own or watching on your own. Some of you are listening and watching with uh, family and uh, with folks in your uh, in your household. And so there may not be one answer to some of these questions. So you might want to talk amongst yourselves for a moment and come up with a corporate answer. So what I'm going to try and do is put a poll. Oh. Where's my poll gone? Do you know? My polling session is inactive. Oh, it was going to be so good, folks. You wouldn't believe how good that was going to be. I don't know quite why that's not working. I'll do that another time. Essentially, what I was going to ask was, how risk averse are you? How much do you embrace? Oh, you can see it. It's there. Fantastic. So it's only me that can't see it. <laughs> now, this is really odd. I cannot see it. I'm logged in from another device. Polling session is on. You've done it. The poll is there. Okay. So um, I'm going to rely on Tony, I think. Yep, it's there. Do the poll. Fill it out. See if you can do it. And then someone tell me the result. <laughs> okay. Just spend a moment or two. If you can do it, you've done it. Very odd. Why I can't see it. Very frustrating. Okay. I think there's about four or five questions. I can't even see those anymore now. Um, so when you've done it, people are voting. Fantastic. 16 of 66 are voting. So there's some of there's a lot of you now. Come on. Move off your couch. Get closer to that uh, screen. Vote. This is like the general election. Come on. <laughs> okay. Some have done 26 out of 66. That's much better. Come on. We can do better than that, folks. Come on. Vote, vote, vote. 33. We're halfway there. Come on. <laughs> what I need to know is whether you can uh, see the result on it. 
Okay, so we'll stop voting now. We'll turn out below. Gareth, turnout's very low, 33, that's 50%. I don't know if that's, that's maybe in, give us time, man. Okay, Ian, I'll, I'll give you time, sorry. I'm more neutral, which is not an option. Yeah, I know, I, I know, I know, John. It's lost now, it's closed now, it's gone. I didn't close it, I just suggested it, but I think it's closed, it's, it's, it's fine. So, do we have a result? Can we see a result? All is lost. We were opposites on some. Heather, it's nice to have you with us, Heather and Lewis. I did tell them to confer. It was my own fault. One was 50-50, yeah, okay, that's good. So it's kind of like we're half and half on risk. Second was 50-50, my words. I can see what might be happening here. We have a pattern of voting, folks. We've got a third, 39, number one. What's happening now? 39.61. That was three, okay. So three, we were more, can you remind me, were we more risk averse or more risk taking? For the third question, what was the third question? Risk-taking. Okay, we're more risk-taking, more hesitant. And then finally, the fourth one, resistance change, 61%. Thank you, Ryan, that's really helpful. And um, was there a fourth question? I think there might have been a fourth question. Again, resistant to change. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? It would be more interesting for me if I could actually see it. I'm telling you now. But it's quite interesting to see the extent to which are the look before you leap question. 68% want to look before they leap. And the others go, I think it'd be okay. Do you know that the truth is this? We need both of you. We need both of you. We need those of you that go, let's just go for it. What have we got to lose? And we do need those that go whoa hang on a minute let's work out what might go on here and the truth is in your household if you're uh, married to someone you might have married the opposite to yourself which might be the only thing that will save your life in the end because to be honest if you were both the same it could be dull or very dangerous and so actually <laughs> you can work out that between you that, that we'll do marriage uh, counseling classes another day but that sense of actually we do need risk takers in these days as well as people who go i wonder what it'll look like this is what jesus said you'll receive power when the spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. There's many of you have seen that verse a lot of times, and you know it well. But just let me remind you about what Jesus is saying. That the Spirit will come upon his disciples, and they will be witnesses. They will be the people who tell other people about Jesus in Think about these places in Jerusalem. The last thing that we've seen in the story of Jesus in Jerusalem is Jerusalem is the place where they rejected Jesus and they crucified Jesus. That's where you'll go. In Judea, Judea is the nation 
that rejected Jesus. That's where you go. Samaria are the enemies, your natural enemies. Jesus was speaking to Jews and Samaritans and Jews, you know the story, long history of antagonism. That's where you'll go to the people who are most naturally antagonistic to you and to the ends of the earth, the ends of the earth. It's almost like there be dragons. There be pagans. There be people that you don't know and there'll be people that you're not part of, this is where you'll be my witness. It'll be scary. And for sometimes, some of us, it still is. You see, those places for some of us are home and community and neighbor and work and uncertain places. But Jesus says, you go with the spirit and the spirit will give you the power for these moments. That's what we might discover in these days, that although it's uncertain and although we won't know exactly what to do, the spirit will come upon us and we'll find the power of being a witness. So what did they do? Well, they didn't go out and plan. They went back and they joined together constantly in prayer. I wonder what they prayed, and I'm guessing now. I don't know what they prayed, if I'm honest. We're not told, but I wonder whether they prayed that they would be open, open to God and open to the spirit, that they might imagine a new future, that they might be brave, that they might be ready for whatever God has got for them. I wonder if, we were to pray. As we, in this lockdown period, have to begin to think, okay, Lord, what, how do you want us to respond to this situation? What would we pray? What would we need to pray for? What would the Spirit want to say to us? What would the Spirit do as part of us? I'm going to play a song and it's got lyrics so you can see what's being sung. And as the song is playing, I'd love it if on that chat facility that you've, many of you have used now, you'd write your prayers or your prophecies or your reminders of what God is doing and saying, if you can. And we'll bring those together in a moment or two before we take communion. But let me play the track. Loads of you have put stuff and it's brilliant to see. Can a nation be changed? Show yourself to everyone. Yahweh, the all-sufficient one. I'm going to read some of them out just in case some of you can't see them. Feel God is make us into pearls, the product of irritation and frustration, which is somehow something beautiful. God is going to bring out the worst in us, things that we've accepted as part of our character in order to break its power. 
over as a prayer for safety. For many of us, we are much safer in our homes currently, but pray for those whose homes aren't safe, those in abusive situations, those who are stuck with family members who they can't be themselves safely around, those vulnerable to this illness that are living with key workers who are exposed. May God provide protection. That reminder from Psalm 46, be still and know I'm God. I thank God. Tell us you have to pay attention to the time and the events around us as a Christian, and you have to know everything has changed. To be open to the spirit, be willing to receive the courage and the strength to respond. That promise that good things are coming. And as we go out, fill us with your spirit. I can do nothing without you, Lord. What does God want us to change as a result of this time? I don't want us to lose what he's asking us, not just as Christians, but for us as a society, the principle and gift of Sabbath rest, the refocus on community and relationships above work and money, the relief for the creation God asked us to steward. There's some things that we would want to change. Janet said, I want to step out in faith-filled courage. Nicole, I pray for peace and my children, family and populace will feel safe and secure. Jill, that God's moving the boundary stones, the borders between races, the borders between nations, the borders between I can and I can't, the people we choose to associate with and those we shun, he's expanding our territory and we trust him and we want to be obedient to his calling for us. A prayer for peace in the unknown. Stephen Clare, this enforced pause in life for so many is an opportunity to recalibrate life and see what's important. Give thanks to God that you're in control, you have the victory, and we put our trust in you, said Esther. And Phil, come, Holy Spirit, make us bold that we may dare to share the good news and the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Kate and Charlie, the go and fish. The seas are now all stirred up. The fish are ready to be caught. Go and fish. They're ready now, but they'll return to complacency when the waters settle. It's a good picture. God is a very help, present help in trouble. He's not distant but here with us though. This is new to us, it's not new to him who knows the end from the beginning. Just said, as I've been listening, I was reminded of the report of the spies who went to look at what was there when God was leading them to the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey, but they didn't see all the good things. They only saw the giants, but there were good things to focus on, <clears throat> that people will find community and friendship, even amongst the isolation, that in the wake of a period of overwhelming division, we find unity. This will be a time when we set up a memorial like the children of Israel crossing the Jordan River. We will look back on this time and marvel at how far God has brought us. Julius, it feels it's a time of life. We need to look inwards. What's the spirit saying to us? That we will remain Christ focused and not be distracted by what's happening around us. May the Lord make us instruments of his peace in a time of uncertainty. And Sunita said, in my quiet time this morning, I was reading from Luke 24, the one thing that God imprinted on my heart is he's concerned with the physical ills, but more our spiritual health. His death and resurrection did more than restore the nation to Israel as the disciples had hoped. He made a way for us to be reconciled to the Father, for death to sin and self and defeat of the enemy. Again, in today's reading, they ask about restoration of Israel. And Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, about being his witnesses. Our spiritual health is more important than our physical health. We're planted in our society for such a time as this. That we will be the hands and feet of Jesus 
in a broken world. And lastly, someone asked on a program last night, is the NHS the new religion in Britain offering hope where the church has failed? I got the question, but it felt so wrong. The church has a huge potential to bring God's kingdom on earth. We need to listen for God's guidance on how best to do this for our community. They're brilliant reflections. Lots of you involved with that. And it's easy to want to go quickly to plan, but actually the text we looked at suggested that what they did was they went to pray and out of it, the spirit birthed something new. 